Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Uh, if you are a fourth or a fifth grader, feel free to go ahead and head out to your class and enjoy that time with one another. Again, welcome. Good morning. My name is Rusty Mackey. I am the director of men's ministry here at Cross Point. And if you're joining us in person or online, we just want to say thank you. We recognize that it takes energy, it takes effort to gather with God's people. And our hope for you this morning is that you would experience something of the Lord's goodness, that you would taste and see that he's good, and that you would also be able to taste and see the goodness of getting to connect with Jesus's church. Well, Merry Christmas. Who's excited? Anybody? I mean, I got my Christmas shirt on. I got my reindeer socks on. Like, we're doing it. My pants leg didn't go back down. I might tell you something about my pants there. Anywho, uh, yeah, we're excited. Christmas. And I'm thrilled to be able to talk to you in the third week of Advent. So in this Advent series, we've been talking about three Advents and three longings. Two weeks ago, we talked about Advent past, uh, the Advent, the the waiting for a notable person who brings benefits, right? Waiting for Jesus' first coming and longing for redemption, for the salvation of our souls from Jesus, our Messiah. And then last week, we talked about how we wait for the Spirit, Every day, we depend on the Spirit every moment of every day for our sanctification, that we might be made holy, that we might look more and more like our King Jesus, whom we follow. And today, I get the real privilege of talking to you about the future Advent, the future second coming of Christ, and our longing for glorification. Now, glorification, what's that all about? Well, it's this idea that just is beautiful, just this beautiful idea that Jesus will return, friends. And when Jesus returns, he will make all things new, and he will make all things right. (laughs) And that's not just in our broken world where he will make all things new and right, but that's in you and that's in me as well. As 1 John tells us, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be made like him in the twinkling of an eye. The sanctification, that daily ongoing becoming like him and the starts and stops that we have there, that will be done and we will be like Jesus. We will have glorified bodies and we will be able to live in the presence of God, of love, of joy himself for all eternity. So that's what I get to talk to you about today. Good times, yeah? Now with that, Uh, We're going to get there because the idea of longing for glorification is a bit abstract, so we're going to try to make it a little more practical. However, uh, before we get there, we have to just recognize a couple things about Advent, okay? So the first thing we have to recognize is Advent is this waiting on a notable person and the benefits that they bring, and that assumes longing. So if we're waiting on them, we're longing for them to come. That longing then assumes delayed gratification. The idea that there is an appropriate time and an appropriate place for that longing to be fulfilled. And we get this when it comes to the Christmas season, right? You have presents, I hope, under a tree in your home right now. And from adults all the way down to the youngest of child, as much as you might want to go open the presents under that tree... 
If you did, let's just say you went home this afternoon and you're like, well, forget Christmas Day. Let's do it now. And if you all just got your presents out and started opening them, wouldn't that feel strange? Wouldn't it possibly even feel wrong? (laughs) You could do it and there would be some joy there, but there also would be a dynamic of it wouldn't be as joyful as if you waited until Christmas morning. So delayed gratification, understanding that there is an appropriate time for certain longings to be fulfilled, we actually come to realize that it's good for us to wait. Uh, similarly, this is it's the case of all good gifts. Uh, I didn't eat breakfast this morning, and so I've got this little guy right here, you know, these little like hipster fig Newton bars that we have out there. <laughs> And, I mean, they're really healthy, and they're delicious and nostalgic, and I really want to open this and eat it right now. But that would be really awkward, wouldn't it? Because, go, oh, thanks, thanks for the, oh, so much encouragement. <laughs> it would be awkward, though, let's be honest. Because my job is to preach right now, not to eat a hipster Fig Newton, right? And so, I'm going to have some delayed gratification, and I'm not going to eat this right now. I'm going to save it for after the sermon. But I will put it right here so that all of you can be hungry with me for the whole sermon. So anyway, there's goodness in waiting. And as we talk about longing for glorification, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5 today, which gives us some practicalities of what that longing looks like. And I was telling the staff earlier this week that I'm preaching this. I was like, it's my favorite passage in the book of Revelation. And Jessica Green, our director of kids and small groups, said, Rusty, I think it's everybody's favorite passage in Revelation. (laughs) And I thought, that's right. That's exactly right. Because what we see here is the fulfillment of longings that are so core to who you are as a person that you can't not read it and feel good on the inside. <laughs> so let's read it and feel good on the inside. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And let's allow God's Word to warm our hearts this morning. Hear the Word of the Lord. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. (laughs) And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. (laughs) For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 
Pray with me. God, we thank you for these promises. We long for these promises, God. We long for you to return and for our glorification, that we'd be made like you, that we can live with you forever. God, we also recognize that what we just read is not where we live today. So, Lord, help us in light of our future glorification to know how we should live now. And I pray, Lord, in these next few moments that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Would you give us uh, just a focused attention on your word? And Spirit of God, would you speak directly to all, everyone in this room and online, just speak to us directly in the ways that we need to hear. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so longing for glorification, what does that mean? The first thing we see in this passage is that a longing for glorification is a longing for union. It's a longing for union. We see this in verses 1 to 2. Look at them with me again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, if you were here for our Genesis theory series, this makes a lot of sense to you. Because if you remember in that series, we saw that when sin entered the picture, it put some separation between us and God. And not only that, but where there was unity between heaven and earth, now there's a divide. And so we see here this idea that that, that old, divided heavens and earth will be done away with, and there will be uh, the new Jerusalem. The city of God, where God dwells, it will come down to earth. There will be a marriage of heaven and earth. And then if we went on into verse 3, we'll see the implications of that is a marriage between God and his people. You saw there that the sea is no more. That takes us all the way back to Genesis as well. The sea is that parable, that picture, that analogy of the chaos of evil in our world. And so here we have this beautiful picture that God will take what we tore apart and God will put it back together. (laughs) And we will be able to live in unity with him. No more chaos. No more pain. Joy unending. And we long for that intimacy, don't we? We all long for unity. We long for it with God. We long for unity with others. We're looking for it. That's what's coming. Amen? That's what's coming. That's what we believe. It's written down. It's trustworthy. It's true. And yet, where do we live today? Well, we long for that unity, and if you actually allow yourself to long for unity, then that means at some point you're going to experience the pain of rejection. And we experience this from our earliest of age for some of us. You may have a family, your family that you grew up with, and and you may long to go over Thanksgiving or over Christmas and be with that family. And you, and you may long for there to be a unity and a kindness and a goodness there. And yet, there's just division. Maybe it's because of 
you, some of your sin, maybe it's your family's sin, maybe it's just suffering, maybe it's just unexplainable tension where you're like, I don't know how to manage this. Some of you may be here watching online and, and you are so longing to be married. <laughs> and in your singleness, you just, you ache for marriage. And yet, as much as you try to honor God in your singleness, as much as you try to do all the right things, you're just not seeing it happen. Some of you may have been like, I got that spouse and I'm so excited. And then you got into the marriage and you came to find out that certain places where you thought you would experience intimacy and connection, all of a sudden you find out those spaces aren't what I thought they would be. As surprising as it is, maybe your children, who you thought would be just a source of unity and grow up as friends together, you're just experiencing disconnect, tension. Maybe it's even cross point. (laughs) You once felt so connected and unified here, and now you come in on a Sunday morning and you just feel like, oh, it's just not the same, and I don't know why or what to do about it. Friends, we all experience the pain of rejection at some point in our lives. And we can do one of two things when we experience that pain. We can either go to shame or we can go to blame. So when the pain of that rejection lands and our unfulfilled longings for intimacy and unity don't happen, we can feel that rejection and say, well, I guess it's like always, I'm the problem. I don't just feel rejected. No, I, I am a reject, and this proves it once again. On the flip side, you may go not to shame and having discussed with yourself. You might actually go to blame, where you point your finger at others in anger and frustration at the fact that they are not accepting you. And you get all up in arms, and you say, they don't know what they're missing. <laughs> How could you not want me? And isn't isn't that at the core of the hurt of rejection? It's this feeling of, you don't want me. You're not pursuing me. So it's a, a very human thing to sing along with the old band cheap trick and to say, I want you to want me. (laughs) It's so human. Like it's a, it's not a bad desire. In fact, it's a God-given desire to want to be wanted, to want to be pursued. And it hurts when we don't get it. My family loves watching Christmas movies this time of year, and Jamie putting up um, his Christmas movies last week inspired me that I can do the same thing. So that's what we're going to do today. Uh, and one of my favorites is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Anybody? Any fans? Okay, classic, right? And we can debate which is the best. Is it the original cartoon? Is it the really creepy live-action Jim Carrey version Or is it the best one, the Benedict Cumberbatch version, right? And I mean, we can can argue, but if you disagree with me, I'm not going to go to shame. I'm not the problem. You're the problem. 
and uh, I feel hurt and rejected that you disagree with me on this point. However, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> so if you remember there, and specifically the, the better version, Benedict Cumberbatch version, if you remember, uh, he, he, gets, he finds himself amidst like all this noise and all these lights, and he gets kind of like triggered, and he remembers what it was like, and you go back to the, the young, cute, like child Grinch version, and he's there at the orphanage, and he's running into the room hoping to see Christmas and lights and gifts, and instead he sees this. You can say all, right? Like, it's sad. It's sad. And then the narrator, he, he narrates this section, and listen to what he says. He walked through the crowd and the sounds and the lights, and his ears hurt at the sound of their joy and delights. And it took him right back to his earliest years, to that lost, lonely boy who cried all those tears. That lost, lonely boy, isolated and sad, with no home of his own, no mom and no dad. And as the Grinch looked around, he felt downright scared as he remembered that Christmas where nobody cared where nobody showed not even a flea, and there were no cards, no gifts, and no tree. Mm. You know, we can lament all of the consumerism of Christmas and talk about how obsessed we are with stuff. But let's also not forget the core experience of a gift. Receiving a gift tells you that someone thought about you and that someone cared enough to discover what you like and what you don't like and that they were willing to put time, effort, energy, and resources into making you happy. That's what's at the core of gift giving. It's, I want you enough to pursue you. (laughs) And yet again, we so often experience not being pursued, not being wanted. So what do we do with that? What do we do with it? It's going to sound trite, but it's so true. So we have to go here. (laughs) And that's in the hurt of rejection we let that pain drive us into the arms of a loving God. Psalm 2710 is just a beautiful verse. It says, if even, if even your father and your mother abandon you. I mean, think about that. That's like the relationships where a person should not be abandoned, and yet we live in a world where that happens all the time. If even your father or your mother abandon you, the Lord will hold you close. Rejection and the hurt of that is a feeling that gives us an invitation to run into the arms of our God. The Christian mystics got this. 
Christian mysticism was not a denomination, but it's a group of Christians who have popped up in all kinds of denominations all throughout church history. And the idea that captivated them was this idea that this side of heaven, yes, we're waiting, we're longing for a perfect union, but this side of heaven, because of Jesus's work, because of the Spirit's work, we can, in a mysterious way, experience something of a union with God. (laughs) And so they were crazy about prayer and spending long hours in prayer in order to enjoy being with God. It's no surprise that the book of Song of Songs was their favorite book to talk about. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. So part of longing for glorification is that we long for union, and we find that in God. We should pursue that in God. The second way that we practically long for glorification is that we long for belonging. We see this longing for belonging in verse 3. Look at it with me again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So there's this union of heaven and earth that then leads to uh, God preparing a place where we can dwell with him. And if you are a student of the Bible, of the Old Testament, you will read this and you should go to a place of thinking, this is insane. (laughs) Because it is so clearly taught in the Bible that you do not stand in the presence of God. You die in the presence of God. Because he is so holy and we are not. His holiness is like the raw power and energy of the sun. At just the right distance, it gives life to our entire earth. But if we move just a smidge closer, we're all done. (laughs) So his holiness, it brings life, but you also have to handle it with care. And so to read this, that we will be with him and he will be with us, just points to what we're longing for, these glorified, resurrected bodies that God's preparing for us where we can actually handle being in his presence. If you're also a student of the Old Testament, you'll recognize these verses because over and over and over and over and over again, the scriptures tell us this refrain of covenant language. God's saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And friends, I don't have to teach you that you long for this type of belonging. (laughs) You just know it. We all long to be in such a close, intimate, accepting, loving relationship with God, and we also long to be in that kind of relationship with one another. But this side of heaven, where are we most often? Well, we experience that pain of rejection, which then often can lead to the pain of loneliness. To be human in a lot of ways is to be lonely. And I hope, I pray that places like Crosspoint are places for you where you come in and you feel a sense of belonging. Like, like recognize in all of these longings for union, for belonging, we get little glimpses and taste of it this side of heaven. We just don't get the fullness of it. <laughs> when my wife and I visited Crosspoint for the first time, we just felt the warmth and the welcome And we walked away saying, like, we feel like we might be able to belong here. 
It feels like these are our kind of people. And I think they might think we're their kind of people. You know what I mean? Like, I hope that for everybody in this room. But we'd be naive to think that we don't have moments, even at cross point, where we feel lonely and isolated from one another. Where you're sitting in this room and you're passing the peace, yet you don't feel connected. Or you're at the women's ornament exchange last week and you're, you're surrounded by other people and yet you just feel alone. In a lot of ways, we all are together alone so much of our lives. And how do we handle the pain of loneliness? Because it hurts, right? I mean, loneliness is painful. Well, often we can either numb out or we can act out when it comes to the pain of our loneliness. And we saw that we see this with the Grinch as well. Again, the Benedict Cumberbatch version. If you remember, the reason that he, I'm going to keep driving this, the reason that, that he ended up going into town to begin with was because in his own words, he did too much emotional eating. You remember this? So here it is up on the screen, right? So he's just like, he's like, oh yeah, I ate all my food in the weeks leading up to Christmas and now I have to go down into uh, the town. And then as the story unfolds and he can no longer numb his pain and the shame of that rejection and the hurt of that loneliness, then he says, well, if they are going to be this happy. And if I am going to be this miserable, then I'm going to make them miserable too. And so then he decides to steal Christmas. You can see that up on the screen as well. So we, we numb out or we act out, and we've all been here at times where we haven't handled our loneliness well. <laughs> And we either retreat into trying to take away that pain with stuff, with shopping, with status, with people, with whatever. We, we pour ourselves into numbing that pain. Or we say, if I'm going to hurt this much, you're going to hurt too. And oftentimes, uh, you know, we tend to think of the pain of rejection and loneliness as like a one-sided experience but we need to be more nuanced than that and realize oftentimes in marriages and friendships, we actually get into a cycle of mutual feelings of rejection and loneliness where one feels hurt and they pull back and they're just waiting on the other to want them and pursue them. And then they feel rejected and then they pull back and they're just waiting on the other <laughs> to want them and pursue them. And friends, it often just takes one person to break the cycle. To say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay down my pride. I'm going to not be so consumed by my loneliness that I'm actually going to reach out to you. And that's what we have to do with loneliness, you know? When we think about what do we do this side of heaven with our loneliness, we need to learn from it. We think of loneliness as this like enemy to be avoided at all cost. Uh, let me just say, loneliness has been one of my greatest life's teachers. <laughs> when we can hold loneliness, not react to it, not try to numb it, not try to act out of it, try to hurt others, but when we can just hold it in the presence of Jesus and listen, loneliness is actually saying, hey, you need people. <laughs> Go pursue them. 
But we also aren't naive enough to know that even as we're pursuing other people, we will experience rejection. We will experience them not responding in the ways that we hope. It, it may end up being painful again. And so our loneliness ultimately teaches us that we have to pursue God. Uh, you know, the Apostle Paul, we think of him for a lot of things. Uh, best missionary ever to live. Uh, amazing, you know, a Pharisee of Pharisee, like super disciplined guy. Maybe you think of him as a prolific author, you know, wrote most of the New Testament. But how often do you think of the Apostle Paul as an amazing friend? Think of his letters. Think of how many times he's naming people, my coworker here, my brothers in the gospel here, my sisters in the gospel here. Paul had an extensive relational network. And yet, do you remember what happened at the end of his life? Check out 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me, starting in verse 16. So Paul is on trial before Rome because he's preaching the gospel and Rome doesn't like that, right? So verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Can you imagine? I mean, think about it. He has poured his life out for others. And here he is not just feeling rejected, not just feeling lonely. He is rejected. He is alone. All deserted me. Look at what he says next. May it not be charged against them. (laughs) Oh, I want to be this kind of person (laughs) that when I feel the hurt of rejection, when I feel the pain of loneliness, I want to be the kind of person who says, may it, yeah, that hurt, but may it not be charged against them. And then look at what he says in verse 17. All deserted me, but verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Listen. Loneliness is painful, and you may feel like you can't reach out and pursue others, but your loneliness is telling you you need to reach out and pursue others. And you may experience more pain in that process, but listen to the truth. You have a friend in Jesus, and he's a great friend. My goodness, he's a great friend. And there's a mystery here because we can't see him in the same way that we can see one another. But you can go to him. You can lean on him. He's close at hand. He stands by you. So won't you run to him in your loneliness? Finally, we we see that longing for glorification, it practically looks like a longing for union, intimacy, connection. It looks like a longing for belonging, to be known, seen, loved, accepted, And then finally, we see that it looks like a longing for healing. We see this in verses 4 to 5. Turn there with me. Look once more. Verse 4. He, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Aren't you excited about that? (laughs) I mean, I am so excited for death not to be in the equation anymore. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Write it down because it's true. (laughs) Again, I don't have to teach you to long for healing because each and every one of us have places of brokenness and woundedness in us that we just ache for healing. We ache for it. And we can do, again, one of two things when it comes to the pain of our wounds. We can deny them or we can despair over them. And I want you to hear that in both of those instances, we're not moving towards healing. So imagine if I went out after and I saw you limping and I'm like, hey, what's going on? And you're like, oh, I got a nail in my foot yesterday. And I'm like, oh, that's awful. Did you go to the doctor? And you're like, no, it's still in there. And I'd be like, why? And you're like, well, I'm just trying to, you know, see if it'll work its way out. And just I'm just not thinking about it, right? You can ignore your wounds, but it's not going to move you closer to healing. <laughs> or you might say like, oh my gosh, I have a nail in my foot and I'm afraid it's going to get infected. And I've been spending hours on WebMD and I'm pretty sure if it gets infected, then the doctor will have to do this and then I'll need this kind of medication. And you just like spiral into it. And I'm like, hey, Like, why don't you go to the ER? And you're like, oh, like, I'm too busy on the internet. You know, like, you're also not moving towards healing. (laughs) When it comes to our wounds, we have to be able to get comfortable enough with them to hold them in the presence of Jesus so we can heal them. (laughs) And that means that we don't get too far or too close to them, but we have to be able to be just right. (laughs) The issue with that is so many of us are repulsed by our woundedness. There are these places in our souls that just feel tender and they hurt and they ache. And it's like, oh, I don't want to get too close to that. And I don't want to let others get too close to that. Again, imagine that you walk out after this service and you see someone with just like a gaping, festering wound. And it's just like putrid. And it's like, oh, you just, you see it and you smell it. What would you do? Let me tell you what the average person would do. The average person would back away. Like, ooh, that that makes me a little sick. Even if the average person wants to move towards them to help, they don't have the tools. They don't know how. But do you know who would not do that? A physician. (laughs) or a nurse, they would see the wound and they would not be repulsed by it. No, they would move towards it. Why? Because healing is their trade. Friends, you have a great physician in Jesus. (laughs) And when Jesus sees the wounded just 
rancid places in your soul. He does not grimace and back away from you. No, your Jesus draws near to you because healing is his trade. And as we experience the healing of Jesus, it's not complete, but as we experience the partial healing of Jesus, we then become wounded healers who can move towards others in their brokenness and not say, that repulses me, but you can say, oh yeah, you too? (laughs) Let me tell you about Jesus. So what do we do this side of heaven with the pain of our wounds? Again, it's counterintuitive and you probably don't want to hear it, but we move towards others (laughs) and we move towards Jesus. Did you notice in verse four what was happening, the progression of this passage? It starts out with this union of heaven and earth, which then moves into the result of that is a belonging with God and God's people forever. And in the context of that relationship, In the context of belonging, that's where healing happens. Healing happens in relationship. God is the one who will wipe away every tear. God is the one who will take away the pain. God is the one who will take away death. God is the one who will take away mourning. God is the one who will take away crying. God is the one who will heal us. And so we experience healing as we bring the tender places of our souls to others and say, I'm hurting. Would you help? (laughs) And we ultimately experience that healing as we come to Jesus. This is exactly what happens by the end of the Grinch story, the Benedict Cumberbatch version. So he takes all their stuff. I'm going to take away their joy and their happiness, right? And then all of a sudden he hears singing. And he's like, what's happening? He pulls out his crazy binoculars and he looks. And and there he sees all the townspeople holding hands, singing, welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. And they're all filled with the joy of togetherness and Christmas without the stuff of Christmas. And he wonders if he closes his eyes, can he feel what they feel? And he does, and ba-bump, ba-bump. <laughs> his heart grows to its normal size. And then Cindy Lou Who comes and invites him to Christmas dinner. And then we we see him here at Christmas dinner. They ask, will you cut the turkey? And he says, I don't know how. And they say, it's okay. You'll be fine. Give it a go. And then listen to what the Grinch says before he cuts the turkey. He says, can I say one thing? Listen to what he says. I've spent my entire life hating Christmas and everything about it. But now I see that it wasn't Christmas that I hated. It was being alone. But I'm not alone anymore. And I have all of you to thank for it. But especially this little girl right here, Cindy Lou Who, this little girl 
whose kindness changed my life. Cross point, there are a lot of lonely, hurting people in this room today and outside of the walls of this church. Are we going to be the kind of people who move towards them in kindness? Because the way we heal is we do it together. And the way we heal is we help one another go to Jesus, who alone can heal. As we conclude today and we think about Advent, we have to recognize that Advent involves waiting. It's waiting for a notable person. It's waiting for them to bring all the benefits with them that they bring. Advent includes longing for that person to come. And Advent ultimately includes delayed gratification. And, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I'm just, I'm so hungry. You know, I missed breakfast this morning, so I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just going to. Mmm. Mmm. It's like raspberry. Mmm. Mmm. Oh, good. There's not any out there. <laughs> so you can't get any. Mmm. Mmm. It's really gummy. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna need some water. Mm. Mm. Oh, good though. Mm-hmm. Does anyone like not like people talking with their mouth open? Mm. That's good. Did you know there are two in here? Mm. Man. Thank you, Jesus. I wonder if they're gluten-free. <laughs> mm. I'm really sorry. <laughs> mm. Mm. I'm almost done. <laughs> mm. I'm not done yet, Joe. <laughs> mm. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Mm. <sighs> so, we're really bad at waiting. <laughs> I hope whenever you look at those hipster Fig Newton bars, you remember we're pretty bad at waiting as people. <laughs> Delayed gratification, not really our thing. 
And when it comes to the longing for union, the longing for belonging, and the longing for healing, we so often can try to fulfill those longings in our timing and in our way rather than in God's timing and in God's way. And we can do that in ways that are just foolish. We also can do that in ways that are just downright sinful. We need to learn how to wait, but we're terrible at it. But here's the good news this morning. We're not the only ones waiting this Advent season, and we're not the only ones longing. Because your God longs to be with you. And yet your God is amazing at waiting. Galatians 4.4 tells us that in the fullness of time, at the right time, when all the puzzle pieces fell into place, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law. And Jesus, for 30 years, lived his life, and at just the right time, he's baptized by John the Baptist. The heavens are parted, the dove descends, and we hear the Father say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus ministers for three perfect years, and at just the right time, he goes to the cross and he dies for our sins. And Jesus rests in the ground for three days, and at just the right time, he's resurrected. And he ministers with a resurrected body to his disciples for 40 days, and at just the right time, he ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And friends, we are waiting, but at just the right time, Jesus will come back. (laughs) Write it down, because it's trustworthy and true. And friends, you and I, we can trust him. And in the same way that waiting to open that present on Christmas makes it so much more satisfying than opening it up on December the 17th, when he returns and all of these longings are fulfilled, we will say, thank you, Jesus. You knew what was best. Pray with me. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are not a spiteful, vengeful God. But you're the kind of God who would bend heaven and earth to bring us home. Lord, we thank you for our redemption in Jesus our sanctification in Jesus, and our coming glorification in Jesus. God, would you teach us how to wait well? We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.